Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new edition of this incredible podcast, Physics of the Mystics. This past week has been a very exciting week because I heard from so many people from all over the world. I received messages, emails, and WhatsApps from people in Panama, from people in Israel, from people in Germany, and from people here in the United States. The United States still happens to be the number one place that people are tuning in and listening to this podcast. This past week, we had people listening from Canada, from Sweden, from Greece, from Belgium, from the United Kingdom, from Germany, from Ireland, and from other places. I don't know where the other places are, but those are the countries and places that I guess there was enough people listening that they bothered to mention the name of those countries. So keep it up. Share it with your friends because you will be understanding and you will be listening to some breakthrough ideas that you can only get here on this podcast. So here on this podcast, we are embarking on an exhilarating journey that stimulates the mind and opens new windows of wisdom, inspiration and light in the thought-provoking series. We're exploring the captivating intersection of science and Kabbalah, seamlessly blending, synthesizing, and fusing these two realms together. You have to be prepared to be amazed as we demonstrate and discuss how mystical concepts laid the foundation for scientific exploration, even when the scientists didn't even know that that's the case. You will discover how science and quantum physics validate, confirm, and corroborate the ancient truths that are found within Kabbalah, and we will unravel the mysteries of the universe. We aim to ignite a sense of wonder, curiosity, and awe within your own mind. Get ready on this podcast for a mind-expanding journey where we unlock the secrets of the cosmos, inviting you to explore the profound connection between science and mysticism in a truly enlightening and captivating manner. That's what goes on here on this podcast, Physics of the Mystics, where science and Kabbalah converge to inspire, to inform, and to transform your understanding of the world around us. And that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to give very, very focused attention on how you can better appreciate the world around you, the consciousness that is behind this world, and God, who is the essence of everything that is here in this world. But before I go on, it seems to be working. My reminder that I have an email address, and that email address is physicsofthemystics at gmail.com. My name is Rabbi Shlomo Ezagwe. I'm a rabbi here in South Florida for the last 36 years. I've authored two books, one on Maimonides that compiles and includes all 14 volumes of Maimonides' magnum opus, Mishnah Torah. And I authored another book. It's called The Spiritual Soul Book with over 800 pages, 300 chapters, a fantastic, phenomenal book. I upload a couple of chapters every single week on the blog at timesofisrael.com. So if you go to timesofisrael.com, you will get the latest updated chapters from my book, A Spiritual Soul Book, which you can buy on Amazon at a spiritualsoulbook.com or at my um, website, a spiritualsoulbook.com. So without any more delay, let me repeat a quote that I said last week in the name of Max Planck. Let me continue with another quote from Erwin Schrodinger. All these were the greatest scientists in the field of quantum mechanics and quantum physics in particular. On this podcast in the past, I've spoken about just general ideas that are related to science, to chemistry, to atoms, and I'm going to go back on those ideas. 
But the last couple of weeks, we've been talking and discussing a lot the idea of quantum physics, quantum mechanics, quantum fields, quantum fluctuations, and all those ideas that are related to really the basement of physics, the basement, the bottom pillar, the foundation on which chemistry and biology and the universe around us is built upon. And that's the understanding of quantum mechanics and quantum physics. So let me repeat to you these two quotes and remind you of what we spoke on the last couple of weeks and tell you what this really means in our own personal life. You know, the Hasidim, the followers of the Chabad philosophy, are learning the Tanya every single day. The very holy book, it's called the Tanya. And this Tanya was composed or compiled or authored, all of that is true, by Rabbi Shner Zaman of Liadi, a brand new soul, as uh, compared to everybody else that has a recycled soul, a soul that was once here in this world, and that's another discussion. We have a soul and we have a body, two separate independent entities, and they fuse together in what becomes me and you. So Rabbi Shner Zaman of Liadi, from the town of Liadi in White Russia, lots of action going on in those neighborhoods these days, not such good action, but Rabbi Shner Zaman of Liadi, and um, he had a brand new soul. How do we know that? Because the Holy Baal Shem Tev told that to his father, Reb and Rivka, that their son, Rabbi Shner Zalman, would have a brand new soul. That means it was very pure. And he compiled or composed or authored this book called the Tanya. Phenomenal, fantastic book. Rabbi Lev Yitzchak of Barditchev, another town in the neighborhood, Rabbi Lev Yitzchak of the town of Barditchev, he said, when he saw this book, he said, it's incredible how a great, big, infinite God can fit into, relatively speaking, such a small book. In other words, a person can connect, communicate, can appreciate, can absorb, and can come in contact with the great, infinite God when he studies the words and the chapters and the wisdom of that book called the Tanya. So the Chabad Hasidim, the followers of the Alter Rebbe are studying now these days the Tanya and on a very, very powerful subject. It's called the Shar Hayichad Munah, the gate of unity and faith. And it explains and it explores the idea that really the entire universe is really all just godliness. And what appears on the surface as the different things that we see, like the different planets, and different kinds of people, and everything else that is in this universe is really a trick to the eye, something that I explored and discussed in the past um, podcasts. And it's really a trick to the eye. So what the scientists are considering these days is nothing new. The Alter Rebbe already made it very clear, based on the works of the Baal Shem Tev, who was before him, and based on the works of the Arizal, who was even before him, and based on the works of the Zohar, which was even before that, like 2,000 years ago, and based on what's written in our Holy Torah, that the world is really a trick to the eyes. What appears to be separate and different from each other is really the same God that is revealing himself in many different forms and ways, and it's our mission to realize the trick and to uncover the trick that is only to our eyes. And then 
in some kind of a way, we bring a certain joy and a happiness to God that we discovered him as he was playing hide and seek and hiding behind this kind of what appeared to be independent entity. But then we discover really that it's God himself here, there, and over there, and everywhere. There is nothing else but him. This brings a tremendous amount of happiness and a tremendous amount of fulfillment to the universe that we become conscientious of that godliness that is inside um, everywhere. So let me first begin by recognizing our limitations with this quote that I said last week from Max Planck. Science cannot solve the ultimate mystery of nature, and that is because in the last analysis, we ourselves are a part of the mystery that we are trying to solve. That's a very, very deep realization that it realizes and it recognizes the limitations of our mind, the limitation of our bodily faculties. We can only go so far. We can go outside ourselves because it's always inside ourselves that we're trying to figure things out. So the first thing is, is that you need to realize that on our own, we will not understand. We need the wisdom of God. We need the very special window that opens up for us from outside of us and gives us an understanding and an appreciation that on our own, we would not be able to realize. But it is phenomenal that these days, these scientists in quantum mechanics and quantum physics are touching upon this realization that the universe is more than what meets the eye. There is something that is not seen and that something that is not seen and not able to be touched is really the source from which everything emanates. So before I go on and explore that further, let me share with you a quote from Erwin Schrodinger, another of the big scientists in the field of quantum mechanics and quantum physics. And this is what Erwin Schrodinger said, who was also a Nobel Prize winner in physics in 1933. And this is what he said, the total number of minds in the universe is one. Unbelievable that he realizes that. In fact, he goes on to say, consciousness is a singularity phasing within all beings. That one consciousness, that's the point that he's trying to say. The mind is one mind. It's one consciousness. And this consciousness is phasing within all beings. And it actually is where all beings are about. When we try to figure out in quantum mechanics, and they come to all these conclusions, whether it's the the Planck uh, constant um, and all these other different uh, um, parts of the equation, many of these things are nothing else but a certain mathematical type of um, anchor that helps us understand and appreciate what cannot be understood otherwise. So what Max Planck and what Erwin Schrodinger, and just these two quotes over here, there's many, many more quotes from many of these scientists that lead to the same conclusion. And that is, number one, that we on our own can't understand. And then number two, there is some kind of a consciousness, a wisdom that is one behind everything since the equations and the rules of quantum mechanics are one for all of physics. So that consciousness that is expressed in the equations of quantum mechanics is one 
and it's behind and it is the cause and the reason for everything that we have here in this universe. So let me just like jump onto another subject that I shared with you um, the last couple of times in regards to, for example, the rules of repentance, um, where we said um, to remind you, or for those that haven't listened to um, the past podcast, which I encourage you, of course, to do, we were discussing the Ramba Maimonides, how he talks about the mitzvah of teshuva repentance. And when he describes the mitzvah, which is a particular action that um, fulfills a commandment. So it's something which is very defined. It's like a particle of sorts. He says that the mitzvah of teshuva is asking God for forgiveness. That act of asking God for forgiveness, confession, that is the mitzvah. But we continue to talk about what the Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, helps us appreciate that mitzvah is only a window that leads us into a place which can never be described or limited by a specific commandment. Because when a person confesses, and that's because he's very contrite and he's very sincere about it, so really that's just a vehicle, that's just a tool that leads him to a place where he's like reborn. He becomes a new person. He becomes like a child that just was born. And then in this new place, there isn't any more the baggage of the past. Not only is there no more the baggage of the past, actually the power of where he reaches in his renewed connection with God, he can take any of the bad things that he did and turn them around and make them into something positive. He can turn them into something which becomes a merit for him. So what we were discussing last week was this fusion of both the particle and the wave in the mitzvah of teshuva. In the mitzvah of teshuva, we approach returning ourselves and renewing our relationship with God through the particle, through the commandment, through the very defined act of using our mouth and confessing and 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 uh, expressing that confession in our mind and in our mouth. But then, because it's sincere, it is an expression of something very deep inside ourselves, and it brings us to a place which is very, very deep and fresh and pure in the relationship with God. And over there, all possibilities happen. In the place of the wave, in the place of the quantum fields, before it expresses itself into any particular particle. So all possibilities are there. We never know where anything is and what is there. And so that's what we discussed in last week's podcast. Before that, we discussed about prayer. And we were saying how prayer, of course, like every single commandment, like I'm just discussing with you now in regards to the mitzvah, of teshuva and repentance. In the case of tefillah, in the case of prayer, there is also a very specific time for prayer. But the truth is, that specific time has a deeper dimension, and that deeper dimension expands even further than the place of the very, very strict definition of when prayer must take place. And that's why we said, it was possible that a person can 
extend the day into the night. That's why we said it was possible that a person can take the Shabbat and he can experience the tranquility, the peace, the very special spiritual place of Shabbat, even before Shabbat or even after Shabbat. You remember we talked about how the oil, which has a very special quality on the surface, the oil on the surface, but deep down inside itself, where we're talking about the quantum um, uh, subatomic uh, level, there, there is much more than just the limited expression of oil. There, there is all possibilities down at that very, very um, deep and, and uh, level. And, and when a person reaches that very deep level, so then even in vinegar, he can, so to say, steer the situation through his attitude, which is what quantum mechanics and quantum physics is all about. When we talk about the observer collapses the wave into a particular definition. But before the particular definition takes place through the observer, all possibilities are there. And that's what we're seeing. Depending on what direction you're going in, we see that very much in Torah. We're seeing very much in Torah that idea, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in repentance, whether it's in lighting the oil and, 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 and lighting the vinegar, we're seeing and recognizing that there are these very distinct kind of different levels and different facets or different dimensions. There is the level, there is the facet, there is the dimension of the particle where this is not that, oil is not vinegar, Saturday night is not Saturday, Friday is not Saturday. When it comes to prayer, the night is already after the afternoon. So there is a very, very distinct space and a particle where things can be measured in every single possible way. But then there is the deeper dimension. There is something which is even deeper. And on that level, so then you are able to reach even more and even broader than what finally is expressing himself on the surface. So this is what Erwin Schrodinger meant when he said the total number of minds in the universe is one. In fact, consciousness is a singularity phasing within all beings. He is talking about the deeper level, the deeper dimension of existence before it allows itself to be noticed by the observer and then collapse into the particular particle. Where is this all getting us? Why am I so excited about all this? The reason why I'm all excited about all this is because this is leading us to a very, very deep and very exciting realization. What this is leading us is to appreciate what we say in the Elena L'Shabayach and what we say in the Torah, that there's nothing else but God. God is the essence of it all. The unseen energy. You remember when we talked about an earlier podcast and we said that the food of the angels, it finally trickles its way down and it becomes coarser and it turns into the mana. But even when it turned itself into the mana, it was still on an elevated kind of physical level where whatever attitude and whatever a person had in his mind for that food to taste, it would taste exactly like that. So the attitude, the approach that the person brought to the tasting of the food was exactly the results that he would get. 
That's the powerful idea that the Torah repeats so many different times that Rabbi Schneerson would repeat many different times. When you approach a problem, when you approach uh, um, life with the idea that you are open to more than what meets the eye, you realize that there is a deeper truth. There is a deeper dimension behind everything. There is God. There is God who influences and controls the way the universe will pop into existence, the way it will express itself out on the surface. So then your observation, your approach, the way you are looking at it will determine whether you really tap in to this deeper dimension or not. You know, there's an expression in English that says, if you think you can or if you think you can't, both are very true, right? So on a down-to-earth level, we can all relate to that, that, you know, if you approach something with the idea in mind that you could, you stand a much greater chance that you will. But if you approach a situation with the idea that you cannot, well, you just narrowed your possibility and limited your chance to even realize or recognize or notice where the possibilities lie. So what we're explaining right now is that this idea is supported by quantum physics. It's supported by the ideas of the Torah. The way you approach the observer, the measurement will collapse the wave in this specific particular manner that you came to the table. That's coming from the outside and going, so to say, trying to go deeper inside. Coming from the other direction, coming from the direction of God, God, the unseen consciousness. God is way more than just consciousness. God is beyond consciousness. Consciousness is just consciousness, logic, or it's limited by its own boundaries, by its own definition. So God is way more than consciousness. But we recognize that consciousness and wisdom is the highest facet. It's the highest faculty that we have here in this universe. The consciousness that human beings have that develop is what leverages all the powers and the energies in this world to make whatever we have and what we enjoy and what we appreciate here in this universe. And only because of wisdom, it's only because of logic, it's only because of consciousness. It's not because of impulse, and it's not because of the actual rules of nature. Consciousness is the most powerful and the most uh, 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 um, godly expression within a human being. And that's why people, the Ramba Maimonides says, that a person, a human being, to live his full potential has to develop his mind, his logic, his wisdom, his consciousness to be able to live to his fullest potential. If you're just living on impulse and on emotion, if you're just living on routine, then you might as well have been an animal living on impulse, on emotion. If you're just living on natural rules, you might as well have been a tree. You might as well have been a flower. But you're Beyond that, you have within yourself those things that operate on the rules of nature. You have those things where you experience emotions and impulse, but then you have what's most powerful in a human being, and that's your mind. Your ability to rationalize, to think. Not only that, you can rationalize and think in third person, outside yourself. 
you can think about you as if you were outside of you and make decisions that will impact you and help direct how you deal with you and with me. That's incredible. So when we talk about consciousness, it's just a way of, so to say, relaying to God in what we know and what we experience to be the most powerful part of our identity. But God is way more than consciousness. There's no question about that. He is not limited by consciousness. He is way beyond that. And therefore, even the greatest mind can never understand God. As the Torah itself tells us, God says, my mind is not your mind. As much as you can develop your mind, you will never reach the mind and the understanding of God. But nevertheless, what all of this is, where all of this is taking us is an understanding and an appreciation that it's all God. Under underlying and underneath everything, there is God who then expresses himself in an energy which nobody has ever seen, but we know that it exists because we see how quantum fluctuations they make electromagnetic um, impulses and waves, and we can measure some kind of an energy. We don't even know where it comes out of. So we describe it in ways that we can help somehow wrap our head around it. So we say there's a field for this, and there's a field for that, and there's a field for the other, and each field produces its own particular kind of particle and then it's all those different expressions from different fields that become the quarks and become the neutrons and become the electrons which turn into the atom which become a molecule and later on a cell and become the world that we're living in but down at the basic level of everything we don't even know what a quantum field is but it's an energy it's an energy that's not seen but that we know exists where did it come from that's the interface that's the interface. It's at that point that we are realizing today that's where God and his energy and his wisdom starts expressing itself in some kind of noticeable and physical manner. And so when we realize that everything is just that one energy, when we realize, when we come to terms and understand that everything is really all one, so then we don't have a problem praying to God and expecting that God can hear us and expecting that God can respond to us right away. When we realize that the energy that is all one, that is the same consciousness, that is all connected to each other, the fabric of space-time itself, the fabric of space-time itself is that one consciousness that expresses itself in the world and in the universe that we are all experiencing and living with. So then this makes us aware of being more conscientious of doing the right thing because God looks and watches everything. And according to the rules of the Torah, when you do the right thing, so then you trigger certain responses in this world, which is God himself. God is telling you in the book of the Torah, when you put on tefillin, it's going to trigger a response in the godliness of your life and of the world around you in a certain way when you will be granted longer life. You can relate now to that idea on a very, very concrete and on a very kind of real type of manner. 
when the Torah tells us that when you keep kosher, this is a sign that you are my people. When you keep kosher, you are becoming holy. What does it mean you're becoming holy? Holy means that you are becoming elevated from the mundane world. You are godly because you are doing what God says keeps you connected to God. So that makes you a lot more interested and a lot more motivated and a lot more serious not to eat something that's not kosher. Because when you eat something that's not kosher, so that it doesn't have that very special possibility to stay connected to the, so to say, the quantum level of godliness. It's only when you eat kosher food that you stay connected to the deeper possibilities, to the deeper levels of energy. The food is God. And the food is the way God created the kosher food and the non-kosher food. God said, the way I created the kosher food, when you eat that kosher food and you make a blessing before it, you stay connected to me on a higher level. But when you eat food that is not kosher, so then the way it was designed and created, there is a distance. There is, so to say, more today, you know, there's a big haze in New York. There is a greater haze. There is a greater, uh, 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 um, so to say, uh, filter that doesn't allow you to stay connected to the deeper. You, you're just going to stay connected to the particle side of it. And the particle side of it can become coarser and coarser and coarser. And then you are just stuck to something very narrow and, and, and full of mass and heaviness. But when you are connected with something that the Torah and that God, in other words, tells us will keep you connected to holiness, that means that it has more of a refined and it has more of a spiritual identity to it. And therefore, that keeps you more connected to God himself. To God himself, who is in the air around you, who is in your body. Your body is staying connected to more holiness when you eat kosher. When you don't eat kosher, you are instilling within yourself a food that is coarser, more materialistic, more particle-like, and therefore more narrow, more limited. And therefore, Jewish people are miraculous by their very identity. Because if they're godly, they're going to be more miraculous. And being godly doesn't mean that you have to go and jump into the sky. It means right down here in this world with your two feet on the ground, your mental attitude, your practices that are more spiritual, this makes you more connected here in this physical world to more spirituality and more godly and more miracles. And that's something that we said in the past podcast when I said, you know, when you go to a, a gathering and there's a hundred people over there, there aren't a hundred same kinds of people just maybe thinking differently. No, the truth of the matter is there's a hundred people and there's a hundred universes that are really going around in that, in, in that room. Because depending on the way you look at somebody else, if you have a very finite and limited and the glasses that you're wearing are tinted one color. That's all you're going to see. And that's the way you live in your own head. But somebody else who is more refined and recognizes and sees the depth that is inside everything. And he is more, uh, or she is, more of a spiritual, elevated kind of a person. They see things differently. 
They are living on a different planet. Their experience in their life is more miraculous. Like it says in regards to many rabbis in the Talmud, that they were accustomed to miracles. Their life was miraculous. Everything that they did was miraculous. You know, it says, for example, the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov could not go to sleep every single day unless he gave away to the last penny that he owned every single day. So if he would make $100, he would use the money for whatever he needed, and then the rest he would give to charity the next day. God will provide. He had that faith on a very, very real level, and he recognized that the infinite possibilities are there every single day, every single moment. There are no limitations to God for God every day, every moment of the day. And if he was open to expecting and being connected to those possibilities, that's exactly how he lived. There's a story that one 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 night he couldn't fall asleep and he looked around and he and he finally found there was one small little coin on the windowsill that somehow he overlooked. And then when he put that in the charity box or gave it away, so then he was able to fall asleep. He lived on a level where he wasn't going to keep any money in his pocket for security's sake. His security was God. His security was totally God to the point where he gave everything away because that's how he trusted to such a point. It wasn't something like, you know, some people have a faith, but then they have a little, you know, doubt and question. He trusted in the way, you know, how you take a kid and you throw the kid up into the air and the kid is smiling and laughing with not an ounce of fear or trepidation that he won't be caught by the parent that is throwing up in the air. That's real trust. Not to say that the kid doesn't know better, but... The kid, for whatever level the kid is thinking, he don't fear nothing. He's completely trusting that he is going to be caught back again. And therefore, when he's thrown up into the air, he enjoys every solitary second of the thrill of getting thrown up into the air and falling back down into the arms of his parent. That's the kind of trust that Baal Shem Tev had. And so therefore, he didn't have to keep anything to be sure that in case it doesn't rain tomorrow, then what's he going to eat? He had that degree and level of trust in the God that is all around and that is always vibrant and alive that God would take care of tomorrow as he took care of today. And that's what all of these discussions are leading to. These discussions are leading to the realization that inside and behind everything is God himself. You can't escape him. And that the more we let go of our particle ego mind, the more we open up ourselves up for the broader wave-like kind of infinite identity of God that is inside everything. That's the key. The key is that the more we think in our own mind and the more we believe we are self-made and the more we think that it's all about the way I think and my conclusions, then the more limited and the more and, and and the smaller I really become. The more I give up my own thoughts for my faith and for my trust in God, the more I realize that it's only through the commandments and through the study of the Torah that I get connected to this greater force. How else can I connect ever to this greater force? I'm a little, I'm a little being. 
There are 8 billion other people here in this world. How do I get the attention of this great infinite God? There is no way in the world that I can call his attention the, as loud as I can scream. The only way that I can get the, can, the attention of God is through the medium that God himself told us he will pay attention, and that is the commandments that are in the Torah, the putting up of the mezuzah on the door, the putting on of the tefillin, the lighting of the Shabbat candles, the obs observing of the, of the Shabbat. God says, when you do these things, then it's a sign upon your life. It calls my attention. It makes me reciprocate and give you blessings. And that's what we realize through all this discussion of quantum mechanics and quantum physics, that the world, the way it appears, is a trick. It's a lie. It's really not what it looks like. Because underlying everything and the real source of everything is God himself. It's the energy that's underlying everything Then, then through some kind of methodology, decides to express itself this way, that way, or the other. But even after it expresses itself in this way, that way, or the other, the, the consciousness that is under everything, it retains complete control and influence on how it expresses itself. It can withdraw. It can extend itself into this way or into that way. So when we are connected more to the underlying energy, when we are connected more to this infinite identity, that is the key, ladies and gentlemen, to becoming bigger in our lives. Bigger in our lives is not by being selfish and being into ourselves. Bigger in our lives is when we extend ourselves and we open up ourselves up to being kinder, to connecting ourselves with more and with goodness and with the commandments of God. Before I forget, let me remind everybody, if you're still listening, that please send me your email to physicsofthemystics at gmail.com, physicsofthemystics at gmail.com, and give me your feedback and what you would like me to talk about and what you think about what I'm sharing with everyone, and I will be so appreciative of you doing that. Until next time, all the very best of God's blessings to every single one of you.